This is the Firearm Trainers Podcast, Season 2, Episode 8, published on October 25th, 2021. I'm your host, Rob Beckman. Our topic today will be revolvers, the pros and the cons to a firearm that is overlooked by many these days. Our podcast is part of the ConcealedCarry.com network, brought to you by XS Sites, the best sites made in the USA. This episode is also brought to you by our friends at the FTA, the Firearms Trainers Association. Visit their website, ftaprotect.com, to learn more about their instructor coverage they offer and their competitive pricing. Receive a special 10% off on your policy by entering promo code FTP10 at checkout. This episode is also brought to you by Elite Survival Systems. Our students look to us for recommendations for top quality gear, and I have no problem recommending Elite Survival Systems gear. They offer a lifetime guarantee, and most of their products are made here in the USA, helping employ U.S. workers. I use the Guardian EDC backpack and have found it to be one of the most versatile backpacks I've ever used. Plenty of room inside and the laser cut molly on the front and back allow attachment of plenty of additional gear. And that's on top of the space inside for a tablet and additional EDC gear. Their motto is don't just survive, thrive. Visit EliteSurvival.com to see their complete lineup of quality products. We're bringing this podcast to support the industry the Second Amendment, and most importantly, every firearm instructor in America that dedicates time and energy into making gun owners more knowledgeable. This week's shout-out goes to all the people I met at the Red Dot Instructor Course with Scott Jelinski out at Impact Shooting Center, Cleves, Ohio. Always great to meet instructors who are improving themselves so they can improve their students. Now let's get on with the show. Today, we're joined by Daryl Balke from Hardwired Tactical Shooting. And welcome, uh, Daryl. How's it going? Good. How are you? We're doing good. Uh, we really appreciate you coming back on the podcast to share your knowledge because the uh, first episode on shooting wound was uh, very popular and got a lot of discussion going out there on the internet. And I'm sure this one talking about revolvers is going to do just the same. But before we dive into it, can you give our listeners a little bit of your uh, background and maybe what you've been doing since the last time we talked? Uh, you know, yeah, prior to, uh, you know, kind of relative to tonight's topic, uh, as a police officer in Southern California, I started in 1988, uh, carried a revolver uh, for my early years in law enforcement, uh, was a firearms instructor, was qualifying an entire department, you know, monthly uh, at the time on revolvers. I have a lot of practical experience, did a lot of, you know, officer-involved shooting investigations involving revolvers. I've witnessed shootings with them, uh, carried them my entire life. Uh, up, I, I still carry one daily, uh, as a backup. Um, we host the, uh, a revolver shoot every year, the Pat Rogers, uh, annual revolver roundup, uh, dedicated to Pat. It's grown to the point where we're actually hosting it at gun site this year, um, because we outgrew our facility with it. So I have a lot of knowledge base on running using and the realities of revolvers uh been also in the industry side of you know working at uh you know fi- uh, police firearms stores owning my own uh so yeah I, i've got a lot of background with them and a lot of real world use as well so uh they're kind of my thing and i uh, love talking i'm also a uh Huge collector. I'm one of the probably bigger collectors in the United States of uh, old police revolvers, really uh, kind of focused on the uh, 1920s to the 1950s is kind of where I really uh, try to 
I'm in the acquisition stages these days. So that sounds really cool. Very cool. But you definitely are the person we <laughs> talk to tonight uh, when it comes to uh, revolvers and things like that, because the one thing that uh, I cringe a little bit when I hear people talking about where they recommend a revolver because it's simplicity. And in a lot of people's minds, it's simple until something doesn't go wrong. And that's where, you know, like to hear your uh, suggestions on. Where, where does a revolver really shine at, especially when most of our instructors that are listening are probably more versed in a uh, semi-automatic world of things? Well, they have, to me, they have a couple of places where they're exceptionally good. And the first place I really like them is with non-dedicated gun people. Uh, by saying that, I mean people who, uh, what I call, they want a fire extinguisher in the home. Uh, they just want to have a gun in case something happens. They're not out at the range training regularly. Uh, they are not going to be part of any sort of firearms lifestyle. Uh, they simply want a firearm in the home. And one of the greatest benefits to revolvers is they are exceptionally simple to use from an administrative handling standpoint. You can almost look at them and determine the condition they are in. Uh, they are very easy, for example, to open a cylinder on a double action revolver. Um, I'm going to focus tonight all on the double action stuff and kind of leave the single action mm -hmm. uh, type guns out of the conversation. That's, that's one for a different thing. Let's talk. Uh, I'm going to kind of focus on double action, uh, traditional double good. action revolvers. <laughs> and, uh, the uh so it's a simple uh movement of a latch or pressing of a button you can open it up and you can determine easily easily determine the condition of the firearm and the reality is most people will handle firearms far more than they will ever ever need them in a defensive uh shooting so with that for the people out there who are simply looking for uh to, to own a firearm, they are very, very good for those folks. Um, I have been around this business, both the business side and the range side and all that for a lot of years. And the reality is a lot of people are not as good with guns as they think they are. Um, if you cannot safely, and the key word is safely, because I see a lot of people on ranges doing this stuff, and it's not remotely correct. If you can't do a loaded chamber verification on a semi-automatic pistol, in my mind, you shouldn't have, you shouldn't be using one as a, your primary defensive firearm. If you are carrying a semi-automatic pistol and not carrying it with a round chambered, you should probably be carrying a revolver. Uh, most of the U.S. military for the course of our history, um, outside of very recent years, the U.S. military always carry their semi-automatic pistols with no round in the chamber. If you were in a job that required you to carry a firearm ready to go right now, which was your military police, a lot of your pilots, those types of jobs, some of the investigators, law enforcement type people within the military, et cetera, they carried revolvers. 
that's why the air force used so many model 15s because a lot of the, uh, the security forces, for example, if you had a job in the military that required being armed with a firearm, ready to fire immediately and loaded, fully loaded, ready to go. Um, they, they issued revolvers. There was a reason for that. Um, so if you think about how many folks we have out there, and I see this all the time, who are not particularly good at manipulating their firearm, who are not comfortable carrying the firearm loaded, who are carrying a firearm, for example, off body, just dropped into a purse or a backpack or a bag or something uh, with a striker fired pistol and no holster. These are very dangerous situations, And a lot of these people are probably better served with a revolver. The biggest problem I see is that when these folks, these same folks go into, for example, a gun store, they get shown, for example, a airway snub Smith and Wesson, say like a 642. Mm -hmm. uh, God help us if it's one of the air lights and the three series guns, uh, you know, Ruger LCR or something along those lines. And they're small and cute and these caliber and they're hard to shoot. It, they are horrendously hard to shoot guns. It's, it's basically handing a novice, a very hard recoiling, difficult gun to control. Now those guns are pretty safe for them to have around the house loaded. Uh, in a drawer or something, but the reality is to try to maintain any level of, uh, you know, ability to shoot the gun well is out, out the window. Yeah, their competency, the, competency is going to be hurt by that. Right. By the same token, those same folks tend not to shoot semi-autos real well, so I don't really buy into, you know, kind of that whole argument. What I really like to see for novice-type shooters or novice gun people is uh, a medium framed, say 38 special uh, in a not giant gun, not little gun, but something about a three inch barrel K frame ish size gun. Uh, the other one I really like lately are some of the, uh, you know, Colts reissue of the Cobra and detective special. They tend to be a little bigger, have very good triggers. Uh, the three inch LCRs, uh, tend to be a very good, uh, if you're looking for kind of lightweight, for example, even the, uh, the medium, uh, size GP 100s, the K frame Smiths, these are great guns for novices. Um, they are very good and it isn't even just novices or people who are simply not comfortable carrying with a loaded chamber. Um. One of the problems with a lot of these striker fired guns is gun manufacturers are putting triggers in them that are very, very easy to shoot. And that's great on the controlled environment of a range or when trying to teach people. The problem with being very easy to shoot for some people in, their cri in the first crisis they're ever facing in their life is being very easy to shoot is not necessarily a positive. Mm -hmm. And it's how we get a lot of unintentional negligent discharges. Take a look at another situation. And this is one I testify in court as an expert on 
and have been doing a lot of lately that I don't like doing is situations, and it is the number one way I see unintentional and negligent discharges is simply on the process of unloading a semi-automatic pistol, people get the order of function wrong in which they rack the slide, then remove a magazine, in which case we have a round in the chamber, people think the gun is unloaded, and we have oftentimes that is how we have horrendous tragedies or negligent discharges or unintentional discharges that um, are easily prevented. Those are oftentimes done by people who are not just not quite as familiar with firearms as they think they are. And a lot of times instructors, because we sort of live for this stuff, tend to impart that on students who may not do that. It's if you take somebody, put them in a class, you know, some basic handgun class or a basic concealed carry class, which to me is not quite uh, the level most people think it is. Um, that, that to me is not the pinnacle of gun handling for a lot of people. That's the only class they'll ever take. Mm-hmm, right. Well, you know, in, in a year and a half, when they pick that gun up again and don't quite remember how everything works, we have tragedies and we have problems. And that is a lot of that is from imparting, uh, the desires of instructors onto students. Um, I have dealt with a lot of students that I have introduced to revolvers who were incensed that nobody in their journey had ever showed them the option of a revolver because it better fit what they were actually looking for. It's like everybody forced them to get a semi-auto because these revolvers are terrible. And the reality is for a lot of folks, it's a very, very good option. Uh, the other thing I tell people, if you can learn to shoot a double action revolver, you know what you get, just gave yourself the ability to do is shoot just about anything. Well, mm-hmm. the ability to control a double action revolvers trigger will give you an ability to shoot just about everything out there. Well, and that is from a teaching standpoint, I find a good thing. Um, so, and I like people learn all in double action every uh just about any of the horrendous negligent discharges i've heard of particularly uh holding somebody at gunpoint and the person being unintentionally shot a lot of that comes with cocking them um i am a big believer in, in the guns not even have the ability to be cocked uh for a lot for most applications, obviously, uh, in the hunting world, target shooting, some of these things, that is going to be a factor, but for somebody just buying what I call a fire extinguisher gun, uh, I like them to be double action only or have an internal hammer. Uh, so again, these, uh, again, are very, very simple, uh, firearms to operate. Now, from a training standpoint, the negatives come in is we always hear about revolver reliability and people have kind of an interesting way of talking about this in which they're really not defining what reliability is. I came from the era of revolvers. You know what we didn't do? We didn't take these things out and shoot 500 rounds a day with them. Like we will do in a high speed training class today with a semi-automatic 
automatic pistol. Yep. Mm-hmm. We Definitely. generally, for example, in the police world, we usually had 30 round qualification courses. We had a cleaning area set up to absolutely do a excellent job of cleaning, relubricating the guns properly. Uh, the ability to get the lead out of them, debris, uh, they were, you know, lubricated properly. We had these funny things on the range called screwdrivers that were actually properly fitted screwdrivers to the screws in the revolver that needed to be tightened down. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, they require some of these things are, are required on the level of maintenance and the guns that many guns today don't need, you know, the idea that, you know, you can basically run a Glock pistol with a punch, uh, and you, and you can clean them once in a blue moon and they tend to function fine. You kind of can't do that with a revolver, but again, look at what most of the populace does. Most of the populace does not shoot like the training community or the people you know, I've been in the training business quite a while. And, you know, the reality is we see the same people over and over again. The people who are actually going out, taking these training classes on a regular basis and stuff is a very small percentage. And most of us know all the people uh, mm-hmm. that are into doing that. A great majority of this country does not train much. And what they do is, quite frankly, frightening to watch at a public range. And most of those are the ones that are actually out practicing, you know, factor that in with the ones who aren't. And again, something that is, uh, simple and what revolvers are is they are reliable in actual shooting events. They are far less reliable in long and high round count training classes. And when they go down, they tend to need a gunsmith to fix them. They go down hard when they go down. Mm -hmm. So if you were going to go, Hey, I'm going to shoot a a thousand round shooting course this week and do no maintenance on the gun. I will give you all day long that semi-automatic pistols are much more reliable in that environment. Take the same definition of reliability and apply it to you are in a Shooting inside of a vehicle, uh, which I will contend all day and every day that revolvers are much more reliable in those places because you can shoot them in space. The ammunition does not function the gun. You do not have to have a wrist properly locked. Your grip can be horrible. That gun will still function. And what we see a lot in surprise attack uses a firearm, which is what the, the goal and, and purpose of the pistol is, is to defend against unexpected attack. Mm-hmm. People often get an absolutely horrible grip on the gun. They don't have the gun grip properly. Uh, wrists aren't always in the position they need to be to control recoil in a semi-automatic pistol. Uh, the guns are shot from asymmetric positions that, that aren't very conventional. And in those environments and particularly where these guns are coming from, I find in actual shootings, the revolvers to be much, much more reliable and particularly the places I use them, which I carry you will be hard pressed to find me that I do not have a snub revolver 
in a pocket or on an ankle or both, uh, those type of places, when you are digging these things out of a pocket, they are better shaped for it. And they are much for a lot more reliable being deployed from those type of environments. Now on the, what I also carry daily in conjunction with that in a Kydex specially constructed appendix rig with my Langdon tactical Beretta PX4 compact that I pretty much carry every day as well. Uh, that's why I carry it from coming from an appendix draw with that. It's a very efficient gun for what I call a going to trouble gun. Those pocket pistols, those backups, those small guns, they are for uh, getting myself out of trouble guns. And I just find them, again, to be much more efficient. And I also think we make a ton out of uh, magazine capacity. Again, in the revolver days, when we've researched these, we did not find a whole lot of cases of people running out of ammunition because it was absolutely beat into our heads in the police academy is you had to get it done in six rounds period. And we had a much heavier emphasis on uh, accuracy. And I also find when you emphasize the accuracy and that speed of shooting becomes more based on assessment of threat rather than running a uh, drill on a timer, the revolvers tend to do just fine in real world engagements. Mm -hmm. The problem is I don't want to take one to, you know, the fifth dismounted hell's angels or some ISIS attack and everybody's trying to prepare for a mall shooting. The reality is I'm trying to prepare for a street robbery. Right. Well, and, 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 and what has Tom Givens said before most, uh, Defensive encounters are three shots in three seconds and uh, within uh, three feet. Yeah, I think. Uh, and I think you know, you can you you can do most, but and again, that's an environment. Um, you know, I am very good friends with uh, Craig Douglas and most of the ShivWorks guys. You know, I teach with Chuck Haggard and Cecil Birch, and we do a lot of these uh, close quarters, uh, extremely entangled engagement classes. And if you talk to any of these guys, you're going to find that we don't find any deficit. We have matter of fact, we find a positive in entangled fights. The revolvers do great. Mm -hmm. uh, we, we just did a non-permissive environment class up in Wisconsin. And I found it kind of amusing that all three instructors were carrying Ruger LCRs for that environment. <laughs> um, that ought to tell you something. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, you know, now like, you know, and, and I'm all about the small autos, uh, have made massive inroads the last several years of, uh, shootability, reliability, et cetera. But honest to God, those guns are still hard to shoot reliably for most people. And mm -hmm. again, the key thing is most people from dedicated people who are out training all the time. Uh, these small nine millimeter pistols are awesome. Uh, they get a lot of capability in a small package. I am a big fan, for example, of, you know, the Glock 48. It's one of my favorite, uh, what I call a travel gun for the work I do 
where I need a gun that only holds 10 rounds because I'm often in states that are magazine restricted. I like them, but I'm also usually always carrying that in conjunction with a J frame in my pocket. So there's a place for both. And I think instructors do a real disservice by completely throwing revolvers out because they don't like them or they have no experience or very limited experience with them. Mm -hmm. Um, I laugh, uh, in my circles with, uh, how many of the newer instructors are, oh, these revolvers are, are unreliable and terrible and all that. And we start diagnosing what they're basing it on. A lot of it tends to be crap ammo, which I'll be honest with you, crap ammo doesn't work in nine millimeter pistols either. Yeah. All of a sudden, like some revolver fails and clash and somebody's shooting some horrendous, uh, you know, cheap lead reload ammunition and the most of today's trainers don't remember it, but I certainly do. When we first saw the transitions to nine millimeter service pistols, you don't want to know where we were buying ammunition from the same places we were buying it for our 38 and, or in my department's case, 45 Colt revolvers is that stuff wouldn't function. You know, 115 grain lead reloaded nine millimeter is not the epitome of reliability. Mm-hmm. Yet we have that same expectation. So usually in the classes, the revolver classes we run, we recommend the students bring 130 grain full metal jacket, uh, basically military training ammunition uh, produced by, you know, Winchester Federal, uh, something similar. And you know what we never seem to have? What? Ammunition problems. There you go. <laughs> you know, the guns run clean because it's full metal jacket. We just don't have the problems. A lot of other people seem to when they're running classes. You know, the other problem you have is a lot of these guns require actual gunsmiths to work on them. And that is a dying art in this country. Now, the Ruger GP100s, the LCR, the Ruger series guns, some of the new Colts, they're getting to get these guns a little bit more modular and more like a uh, semi-automatic pistol that you can interchange parts and stuff. But here's the other reality. I have seen more crimes committed against guns by people doing YouTube-based revolver action jobs. Mm-hmm. They're not like a Glock. You you need trained people uh, to do work on revolvers. And <clears throat> I am a big proponent of revolvers having uh, very good actions that are very smooth. They don't necessarily need to be light. They do necessarily need to be very smooth and not gritty or binding or having, uh, you know, where you can feel tension build up in the action, that type of thing. So I like to see revolvers with a good action and sometimes they need to go to a competent established gunsmith to have that work done. Sadly, we get a lot of people trying to do this at home and benefits for people like me as I bought a lot of, uh, very good bargain used revolvers that simply need to have needed to have the, uh, the home, uh, action job undone, but they, uh, you know, a good action, uh, is very helpful, uh, for a lot of people. 
And, you know, those of us who, who use these a lot tend to demand having a good action in the gun. Let me ask you this, uh, Daryl, because, uh, you know, a lot of people might be thinking of, you know, when it comes to revolver, like, you know, 44 Magnum, you know, the dirty, hairy kind of gun, what kind right. of caliber are you thinking about when you're talking about what you carry and what you recommend <clears throat> the people carrying? Okay. So currently, um, I have horrendous, um, and I mean, debilitating arthritis in my hands. Uh, you can attribute my love of, uh, snub nose, 44 Magnums and big bore revolvers and shooting yeah, 50,000 rounds a year for 10 years straight a full house, 45 ACP. Um, I have horrendous arthritis in my hands, so I don't shoot that stuff much anymore. I still love them. I just don't shoot them a lot. So what I am currently carrying is a pair of Ruger LCRs and 327 Federal Magnum. And the reason I currently really, really like that gun is I generally train with 32 long, which is near recoilless. It's about the equivalent of 32 ACP and recoil. Um, 32 short is almost like shooting 22. Um, I can train with 32 long. I can carry specialty 32 long or 32 H&R mag in the gun uh, for self-defense. And if I'm taking them into the outdoors, I can load 327 Federal Mag, which is about every bit of uh, 357 Magnum in performance. Um, I'm a big advocate in the in all of my airweight 38s. I carry uh, 38 wad cutter, very low recoil, tend to always hit the point of aim, point of impact on the sights, uh, very accurate. And those wad cutters cut a straight 38 caliber hole. Uh, through at least 16 inches of, uh, you know, human tissue, which is what we're looking for. Most of those small guns have no expectation, even in the hollow points of really expanding. So what I'm looking for is to guarantee I get the penetration I need. And those full wad cutter loads tend to cut a hole through things rather than, uh, push things out of the way inside the human body. And that's what I'm looking for. Yeah, it's a hole punch. That's what I, I, yep, I that's what, and, and that's what I'm looking for. So I have no, uh, no idea that or expectation of, of expansion, but I, I do have an expectation. I'll get where it needs to go. If I do my job and put them there. Uh, the other round I use a lot, my steel guns, uh, in 38 is I'm a big fan of the, uh, 135 grain, uh, spear gold dot in the uh short barrel load it's 135 grain plus p uh that round has shown uh good performance over the years in the uh you know the the shorter barreled guns and i usually use those in my uh some of my favorite guns to shoot are the two and a quarter inch smith and wesson j frames and they work well in for example the colt cobra any of these steel guns, I like running that spear load in them. And I am a huge fan of the old Smith and Wesson, uh, end frame guns. It's what I cut my teeth on. And for example, I carry quite a bit, a, uh, Smith and Wesson model 24, 44 special, uh, three inch. And I'm using, uh, Buffalo bore wad cutters in that. 
Uh, and one of the best performing rounds when we do the ballistics work in our revolver sheets, uh, we, the round that wins basically every year is the 200 grain 44 special cold dot. And that's an exceptionally good load in any of the 44 guns. So rather than carry 44 mag as a defensive load, I actually use a lot of 44 special, um, 45 Colts, another obvious favorite. Um, so there's. You don't necessarily need these deep penetrating magnum loads unless you are hunting game is where I, I put those into. Uh, and again, that's almost a whole nother conversation of what you're looking on depth of penetration and uh, performance uh, for hunting big game or, or any game for that matter. I mean, uh, my business partner, Wayne Dobbs, uh, absolutely loves hunting deer with a, uh, you know, a four inch 44 special revolver. So. Well, that'd be good. Maybe, uh, maybe we'll have to talk to, uh, Wayne about that a little bit. Mm -hmm. uh, or at least I would, at least, you know, yeah. talk about the hunting experience for it. So not right. sure that that'll be relevant to instructors, but that would be a good conversation. Right. Good. Well, hey, Daryl, you've covered just about all the topics that I've wanted to, uh, talk about, uh, when it comes to, uh, revolvers you know, overall so i mean you've been a wealth of information on that i forgot could i add one thing that i think is critically important that yes. i left out mm -hmm. real quick grips so one of the biggest problems we have and we don't get to do as much with semi-automatic pistols is the one thing that is so great about revolvers is we can fit grips correctly to people's hands um, there's a, just literally a plethora of different grip sizes, configurations, et cetera. And it's one of those things that is absolutely critically important, uh, to shooting well. And for a lot of people, whether they have little tiny hands or great big hands, whatever, or they're trying to conceal, or it's a bedside gun, whatever, we can actually get grips that truly not only fit their hand it fits the, what the intended use of the gun is. And it is something obviously that is not as possible with, uh, the semi-automatic pistols. We made a lot of inroads, uh, with different back straps and side plates. One of my favorite pistols is the HKVP nine. Uh, you can get 27 different grip configurations on it, but the reality for the revolvers is um, we can do amazing stuff with fitting grips to shooters and for their use. And actually in, you know, days of old, uh, custom grips for revolvers that were actually made right to people's hand sizes was very common. So again, it is a big consideration that we can actually fit a gun perfectly to the shooter as opposed to trying to get the shooter to conform their hand to the gun, if that makes sense, like we do with a semi-automatic pistol. So yeah, it's with your, another with your another. Glocks and MMPs. There's only a couple different configurations for them, and you got to fit you got to fit your hand to the gun, so right? The absolutely. Other way yep. So okay. good. Good points. Very good points. Uh, question for you, Daryl, um, do you have a book or instructor that you would like to recommend <laughs> to our listeners, uh, on this podcast? Okay. Let me think about this. Um, books, uh, you know, there's, 
there's something too, particularly on the subject of revolvers, is the best places to get info in my mind is to get that from the old texts, uh, shooting by Fitzgerald, uh, secrets of the double action revolver by Nichols. These are great old texts, but the one I would like to kind of recommend, uh, for revolvers is by a guy who's influenced me a lot. And I've, I've read his stuff over the years. Um, the community was, uh, Truly a, a tragedy that we lost Stephen Camp, uh, C-A-M-P. Uh, his books are still available. One of the best one is The Shooter's Guides to Airweight J-Frames, User's Guide to the Classic Smith & Wesson Carry Gun. Uh, anybody who can track these down by Stephen Camp, uh, his wife still sells them, uh, is a great book that should be in every instructor's uh library uh in my mind so that would be my my big recommendation on that great and we'll uh, go along and um make sure those are in the show notes as always uh for our listeners and where can people find more information about you and your uh shooting uh classes that you might be holding so uh we're still having website issues but i would uh ha- i would uh send people to our Facebook page, which is Hardwired Tactical Shooting, is the training organization. And my personal page I run is uh, DB Shooting Adventures. I cover a lot of topics and everything from uh, historical notes on old revolvers and old guns to uh, little rants about what's going on in the training world to uh, advice for people reference concealed carry and living a, uh, armed lifestyle. So there's a lot in there. Uh, my wife is in the business also, so we'll reflect on what we're doing. Um, I learned as much from her as anything else these days, uh, kind of from the woman's perspective, uh, in the hunting and shooting world. So that's, uh, the DB shooting adventures is kind of a fun page I run and, uh, we uh, generally avoid politics completely, and it's simply uh, just good, good, fun information about uh, firearms. Good. Well, we'll go along and uh, have links in the show notes for, for that, and people can hopefully follow you and uh, see what's going on for you. So appreciate right. your time, uh, your time Daryl, and hopefully we'll have you back on again for another uh, interesting topic somewhere down the road. When you're ready for shotguns, call me. (laughs) (laughs) Sounds good. I'll keep that in mind. Perfect. Thanks. Bye. That's a wrap for this episode. And let's announce this week's podcast winner. This week's winner is Monica B. And she won a Lingle Boundaries by State Book. The next prize is a $50 gift card SSP eyewear. And I use both the Legal Boundaries book every time I travel and my SSP eyewear every time I go on the range. Great products. And remember, visit podcast.concealedcarry.com to enter in for our weekly prize giveaway. Remember, you can't win without entering, and your entries do not carry over from week to week. Please share all our podcasts on your social media to help other trainers receive the same great information. I've also found that many other people besides trainers actually find the information very useful in our topics. So feel free to share it all over and get the word out about responsible gun ownership. 
Remember to check our website where you can share search for various topics for marketing and instructor training at firearmstrainerpodcast.com. And you can also leave comments on each episode there too. If you have any ideas for new episodes, suggestions on guests to have or feedback, please email me at ftp at concealedcarry.com. Visit all our sponsors, especially the Firearm Trainers Association at ftaprotect.com and check out their instructor insurance. Being a responsible instructor means having insurance coverage. Remember to use promo code FTP10 for 10% off at checkout. We bring this podcast to support the industry, the Second Amendment, and most importantly, every firearm instructor in America that dedicates time and energy into making gun owners more knowledgeable. Thanks for listening and stay safe, everyone. Concealed Carry Inc. and ConcealedCarry.com strives to share helpful information and education about gun-related topics, training tips, and other things that may potentially have legal implications for its listeners. The information contained in this podcast is intended in good faith, but it is important to understand that laws vary from place to place, and we encourage listeners to seek local legal advice to understand laws that apply to them. Nothing in this podcast should be misconstrued as legal advice or counsel.